0: What's up, friends? Uh, my name is Jake McMahon. I am the campus pastor at the Park Hill campus of Restore, and I want uh, to play out um, a scenario that probably you've walked into before. Okay, so have you ever been at, um, maybe it's like a, a family reunion, or you meet like a friend of the families that maybe saw you when you were like three years old, and you're meeting them at age 20 or 25. Here's the scenario, basically, I'm laying out. So you meet this family friend or distant relative, and they look at you, and they say, oh my goodness, you look so much like blank. You look like so much like your grandma. Or, wow, you are a spitting image of your uncle. Or I can totally see your grandfather's eyes, like you have your grandpa's eyes, like they they like to describe your physical attributes and who in your family you look like. Imagine, let me know in the comments right now or in the chat, has this situation ever happened to you and who do people say that you look like? Because growing up, literally every since I was, I don't know, five years old, people have said that I look like my mom. And as a five, six, and seven-year-old, I hated it. Like I hated when people said that I looked like my mom. One, because I didn't want to look like a girl. And two, the last girl I wanted to look like was my mom. I don't know why, it, obviously every seven year old boy doesn't want to look like their mom. But as I have gotten older, I understand that my facial features and my style and my temperament is much more similar to my mom. And to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of glad. Because the alternative is that I would look like my dad, and I think that I got the better of the two when it comes to that scenario. Now, it's not surprising that I look like at least one of my parents, because that's literally how genetics works. I'm quite literally the genetic makeup of my parents. Every single person that has ever existed on earth has the genetic makeup of their biological parents. Two sets of DNA creating one. But I would venture to say that every single person on earth has the genetic makeup of three people. Your biological parents that make up your DNA, but God. God's image, God's DNA, God's genetic makeup inside of us because every single person has been created in the image of God. It literally says this statement exactly upon creation in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, there's, there's a ton of scholarly debate about what it actually means to bear the, the image of God or to be created in his likeness. Some believe that you know, when, if we end up in heaven and we actually get to, to potentially look on the face of God, that he will resemble some human form, and that our physical personhood is what makes us resemble the image or the likeness of God. And then other scholars believe that it is primarily the character or the moral makeup, the relational design, the embodiment of his personhood that reflects our image-bearing of God. Now, there are some that also believe it's a combination of both, but as I was preparing for today, and I've, I've kind of studied this in the past, based on my own study and I feel like my understanding of Scripture, I think when it says that we are created in the image of God, the primary focus is his character who we are inside the depth of us as humans, like we are set apart from the rest of creation. We were created with a soul, a soul that operates differently with a moral compass and a character and a calling and a pursuit and a hope and a sadness, like all of those characteristics that God has, we bear. Now, before I get too into the weeds and you're, you're thinking to yourself, but why do I choose selfishness? Why does my neighbor act out wrongly? Like when we think about the characteristics of God, we want to think about the positive characteristics and all of the characteristics that he exemplifies and calls us to. But if you know the end of the beginning of the story, sin does come into play shortly thereafter creation. And it distorts, I think, the characters of God that are indwelled inside of us. But it does not remove them. It doesn't take them away. We just have to dig a little bit deeper to find them. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, okay? And I want you to engage with me in the chat or the comments. How many of you would say that God is eternal? If you'd say he's eternal, just let me know. Say, yes, he's eternal, of course. Yeah, God is eternal. I would, I would also agree that God is eternal. So if we bear his image, then we are created to be Eternal. How many of you would say that God is loving? I'm hoping most of us would say that God is loving. We follow a loving God. So if we bear his image, then we are created to be loving. How many of you would say that God is is generous? I would say that God is generous. So if we bear his image, then we are created to be generous. That's why we're doing this series. I mean, it's, it's really specifically the title called Genetically Generous. Like, we're wired. How are we wired? If God is generous, how are we uniquely wired as image bearers to be generous? And the reason I'm really excited about this series is because we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about us, talking about you, and specifically how you're wired. Now, I think our temptation often, when we think of the word generosity, is to think of financial generosity. And let me tell you, throughout the entire series, we are going to absolutely hit on that aspect of generosity. But when we're looking at the generosity of God, I think the fullness of generosity is like whole life generosity, giving the entirety of ourselves and seeing how we are uniquely wired. And that could be in the area of financial generosity, but it could be in a completely different area entirely. So we're going to be looking at your specific generosity profile. You're going to be able to engage with that as well. There's a church that we're close with in the Chicagoland area that actually developed a test to help us and you figure out your specific generosity profile and your wiring for generosity. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. We're going to touch on that later. I want us to go back to the question that I asked earlier. And that question was, would you say that God is generous? Hopefully you said yes, but maybe you weren't weren't sure. I don't know. Is God generous? What What does God's generosity look like? I think there are three big aspects of God's generosity that we can see on display. We see on display now, and we see laid out in Scripture the first is that I believe that God was generous through creation. I mean, the beauty of the world is clear that God is generous. Like, just read the first 25 verses of the Bible before we talk about the creation of mankind, us being created in His image, God creates the entirety of the world. And it is magnificently beautiful, it's breathtaking the mountains the rivers the streams the deserts the trees like people create national monuments because of the beauty that god has created its magnificence it's glorious when you see a sunrise or a sunset over the ocean there's just something supernatural that you can't say there's no way that this is an accident it's beautiful And I know it's generous because, I mean, God could have just created a simple ecosystem with water and a few trees and some vegetation that would have allowed us to survive in a specific geographic area. I don't think we need mountains. We don't need a beautiful sunset over the lake. But he gives us this because he chooses to be generous and we get to steward it. But not only did God hold the generosity of creation to himself, but gave us creative abilities as well. Through art and dance and music, poetry and engineering and writing and movies and plays, all of these beautiful mediums, God said, hey, I'm not going to hold creation abilities so close to the chest. I'm going to give that to my creation as well. And it's one of the most beautiful aspects of humanity is the creation, the creativity of who we are and watching it come on full display. But he doesn't just keep like, the creation of art and music as a medium, but he allows us to play a part in the physical reproduction of creation. Literally the command to be fruitful and multiply. As image bearers, we get the ability to physically create life in partnership with him. Like, it blows my mind that we get to play a part. He could have just been like, all right, here's how it works you pray and you receive the gift of a baby, or a baby is born. I don't, he could have done it a thousand other ways, but he lets us play a part. To the parents out there, do you remember the moment? Do you remember the moment that you held your kid for the first time? It's a supernatural moment. And it's a gift that God gave us that moment. And I know that's how he felt when he created us. Like it's emotional. Because I got to play a part. And my wife got to play a part. And God played a part. And we have something that we call ours. He's generous through creation. And he gives us the ability to play a role as well. God was also generous through Jesus, through the personhood of Jesus. You don't have to go far to see the generosity of Jesus. I mean, feeding the 5,000, healing person after person after person, casting out demons, giving his time to sit down with tax collectors, adulterers, prostitutes, fishermen, cripples. And it... His entire life, just his entire life embodies generosity, the giving of himself to others. But it wasn't just his posture of generosity. It was his teaching. And as I was preparing for this message, there was one teaching in particular that, that, that intrigued me. And I was having conversations with Evan, who's one of our other teaching pastors, and we were talking about it. And it's this passage. Uh, and the Pharisees, uh, they're once again trying to catch uh, Jesus in a trap. They're like, they're upset with him. He's claiming to be God, and they're thinking, how can we arrest him? So they've been trying to trick him all along the, the way in his ministry. And so this is another one of those examples. Uh, so some, some guys show up at Jesus, and they're like, hey, we're going to ask him this question. And here's what they ask him in Matthew 22, 16 through 22. Uh, they say, teacher. We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you you, you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed So they left him, and they went away. Maybe you've heard and read this passage of Scripture before, and maybe you haven't, and you might be confused. What are they trying to do? How are they trying to trick Jesus? And there's one significant part of this that I want to dive into that they start off with. It's the imperial tax. So they're asking Jesus, should we pay the imperial tax? And if you don't know what the imperial tax was, it was a tax that was placed on non-Roman citizens, uh, which would have included Jews living in the Roman Empire of that day. Basically, think of it as this. If you, if you lived in the U.S., but you weren't born in the U.S., you would be taxed at a higher rate just because you were an outsider, frankly. And in, in that culture and in the Roman world, the taxation was already extremely high. Then for Jews, you would compound the imperial tax on top of it, And then you had tax collectors who were collecting the taxes for the Roman Empire who would often cheat and swindle people to add an extra amount to their own pocket. At times, Jews in the Roman Empire would experience taxes anywhere from 65 to 85% of their income. And you think the taxes here in America are bad? They are far from as bad as some of the Jews experienced in the Roman Empire. And this, I mean, to me, seems like an egregious injustice. And I would imagine, based on the Jesus that I know, I would expect them, and I'm sure they were expecting him to be like, no, no, do not pay the imperial tax. Caesar's just trying to take advantage of you. That's not what he says. He asks to see the coin. So this is what a denarius looks like. And the denarius in that day and age would have been worth about a day's wages for a blue-collar worker, someone working out in the field or doing a job with their hands. And Jesus drops this crazy truth bomb when he asks, whose image or likeness is on the coin? And when he uses the word image, that is the same root word. It's a direct callback to image bearing in Genesis chapter 1. So he's using the likeness. Whose likeness is on the coin? And they reply, Caesar. Caesar minted the coin. He had the coin. He created the coin. He was the ruler of the Roman world. The inscription on the coin says, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And if you know anything about Roman history, like they believed that the Caesar, the, the, the leader of the day, was, was as close to divinity, if not divinity. Like, he was almost God. And Jesus is saying, all right, if Caesar, the person who created this thing, wants it back, then give it to him. Give it back to him. And I'm, I, to be honest, if, let, me, let me be honest. Let me be frank with you. I wish Jesus would have said don't pay your taxes because that would have been great. I would have more money for myself. But he doesn't say that. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. But of course he doesn't end there. He says then give to God what is God's. And the likeness The image that he uses for Caesar translates back, continuing on into that verse. Okay, so if if Caesar created this thing, then give back to him if he wants it back. But God created you. And what are you supposed to give back to God? Everything. The fullness of your life. Everything. It's not just the 10% tithe that he, he asks of us. He wants everything Giving to God what is God's is us surrendering and giving the fullness of our life over to him. And it's not out of this like slavery mindset. It's out of this hopeful mindset that we get to serve our creator, the person that created us in his image. We get to share everything with him. And even the injustice of what Caesar operated and sometimes what I feel like the taxation of injustice in our own society is is pales in comparison to the gift that it is to surrender over to the fullness of giving our whole life to God. The third way that I see that God being generous is that God was generous on the cross. I feel like this one's pretty obvious, uh, but it still, in my mind, needs to be said. I probably should have done this earlier, um, but I want to give you... The the, the working definition that we would use for generosity is the act of giving something, uh, giving more of something than is necessarily expected. The act of giving more of something than is necessarily expected. 99% of the time, the recipient of generosity is is typically undeserving of it. And that's literally in the definition, receiving more than is necessary, You see, I imagine we have a God who could have conjured up any single way to redeem our brokenness, the sin that entered the world, back to him. He's God. He could have done whatever he wanted. But the thing that he did was right in line with his character of generosity. He gave over the thing that was most valuable to him. His one and only son. I don't know if you noticed it when we were looking at the creation account of mankind. But it's plural. It says, let us make mankind in our image. God is not alone at creation. He's in the presence of both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he puts this generosity on full display when he gives away the thing that is most valuable to him So that us, the broken creation that walks away from him daily. So that we can be redeemed back. Here's how he puts this love on full display. John 3.16, you've heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. I mean, the ultimate act of generosity. There's literally no way that we will able to achieve the generosity that is greater than God's. The giving of his only son to experience one of the worst and most painful sacrifices that anyone could ever experience. And we as humans still bear his DNA, his wiring, his makeup, we are wired for that type of generosity. There's no way we could physically outgive Him, but we are challenged to do so. That's why I'm so excited for this series. I'm so excited because we get to look inward and say, God, you, you wired me some way. Help me understand how. Maybe you know how He's wired you in the area of generosity, and maybe you don't. I talked about this test, this generosity profile developed from Community Christian Church in Chicagoland Uh, And you're going to have an opportunity to to learn, to take and learn what your specific generosity profile is. And so if you're going to be joining us for the entirety of the series, you're going to need to know how you're wired because we're going to be addressing each one of those profiles, looking at each one of them specifically. So if you want to right now, you can text the word profile to the number on the screen, 816-608-4767. Just text that right now and you can take a break here. Stop. I'll give you some space to do it. And what that's gonna do is that's gonna send you a link to a survey. It's two to three minutes long, super quick. If you don't have a chance to take it today, no worries. We're gonna send you a couple text reminders throughout the week so that you have an opportunity to take and learn what your specific generosity profile is. And then over the next couple weeks, we're gonna look at those generosity profiles. How has God uniquely wired you What are the things that you have strengths in that you continue to lean into in the area of generosity? And what are maybe the the shadow sides or maybe the parts that you need to be challenged in to grow in when it comes to looking at your specific wiring for generosity? I I am seriously excited about this experience because we get to look at ourselves and go, God, you created me unique. How do I use my giftings of generosity for the service and growth of your kingdom? And how does that lead to life change? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful that you wired me unique. You wired me for generosity. You weren't selfish in your generosity, but selfless in the giving of creation, the giving of your son, Jesus, and ultimately his sacrifice on the cross, the ultimate act of generosity. And I would, I think we all desire to grow in this area. God, challenge me and challenge us through this series as we continue to take steps in our generosity. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.